I love history. And one of my favorite historical figures is a man who was an athlete. He's from Philadelphia. And he, he comes from rather humble beginnings. And in fact, he was a boxer and um, he, he, he kind of worked his way through various circuits and, and just kind of had a, a mediocre career. But then, uh, if you recall, a few years ago, he had an opportunity to take on the champ. Champ's name at the time was Apollo Creed. And... Um, of course, my, my favorite historical figure is Rocky Balboa. Y'all may have heard of him. And, and Rocky got a shot at the title. And, and he got a shot at the title as a southpaw. Rocky is left-handed. If you're not a fan of history, not up to date here, let me bring you up to speed. He's left-handed fighter out of Philadelphia. And he had an opportunity to go toe-to-toe with the champ, with Apollo Creed. And he didn't win the fight, but, but he went the distance. And, and that earned him a second fight. And then in the second fight, if you recall, Rocky went all the way and he got up off the mat and he won the heavyweight championship of the world. And that's one of the, like one of the highlights of my life is cheering him on. <laughs> and, and then if you recall, like, like this, this man who went like from poverty and brokenness. Remember eating raw eggs for breakfast to now he's like the heavyweight champion of the world. And, and then he went and then he, and then he, and then, and then he fought Club Lang, Mr. T. Remember that? And he took care of Mr. T. And then Ivan Drago. Remember that? The greatest soundtrack in the history of the world. Come on, Rocky Four. I mean, does that, we, we are, I think, this is why I keep telling our team, we ought to open every service with a little bit of Rocky Four. Can you imagine, like, how fired up people would be? Man, I love, I love Rocky Balboa. And, and I know what some of you were thinking. Some of you were like, wait a minute, that's not history. Wait a minute, that's not real. Oh, well, it's real to me. Are you telling me that the statue in Philadelphia ain't real? Because I've been there. It's real. And Rocky Balboa is real to me. I love the story of Rocky. What is it? It's a story like a lot of other compelling stories in our world, right? A story of someone that started from nothing. A story of someone that had nothing, who was like just barely getting by. Someone who's, who maybe dealt with tragedy or hardship or, or some, some very difficult circumstance. And then there, there, there's an opportunity and there's some victory that comes out of that. And we love stories like that. Like if you think about some of the most compelling stories that you've ever been drawn into, it's probably some story that starts with tragedy or hardship or difficulty or brokenness. And, and then of course something happens and, and you ultimately get to a place where there's victory and there's hope or there's healing or there's something, right? And, and that's what we cheer, that's what we love. And for me, like I find that in my man, Rocky. <laughs> You've seen it and you've, you've, you've connected to that kind of a story, maybe with someone or something else. And, and we're walking verse by verse through a letter given to the church called Ephesians. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus about 2,000 years ago, a church that he started, a church that he, he really spent significant time with. And, and, and Paul's writing now kind of toward the end of his life, and he's writing back to, to, to these 
these men and women that he spent so much time with who were living in Ephesus. And, and today what we're gonna see is Paul really describing for us the most significant story that has ever existed. And it's a story, I have to warn you, that starts with immense tragedy. Like, like the opening words that Paul gives in this section of his letter are very, very bleak. Looks hopeless. I mean, I mean we're talking about actually something way more profound than than Rocky Balboa, right? Like we're talking about something, I wanna show this to you here in a moment, that we're talking about something that's like, like I mean, devastating, crippling, it looks hopeless. And, and Paul is gonna walk us through how God works in the midst of such a broken story and tragedy to bring victory. And here's the cool thing about this, it's real life. This is a hope and a victory that you can experience today and the rest of your life. But it's a story, it's a hope that, that starts with tragedy. It starts with brokenness, right? I mean, it, it starts with, with what appears to be just utter hopelessness. Okay, l l let me show you to you. We find in the second chapter of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter two and verse one, let me just show you here how this opens, okay? Like th this opens kind of like, the, like, like the, the first section of a movie that's, that's born out of tragedy, right? And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. <laughs> Makes you feel good inside, doesn't it? I mean, boom, opening words here. Let me, let me, Paul, Paul's gonna say, let, let, me, let me just give you a little word here about, about life, about, about God's story in human history. And it begins with tragedy. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. He says, we too previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And now this is huge, watch this. And we were by nature children under wrath as others were also. Now, in case you're wondering, apart from a relationship with God, where you stand in the world, Paul's talking to you. And we need to let this sink in for just a moment, how devastating, tragic, and hopeless this really is. And you were dead. Apart from God, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Apart from God, you are by nature a child of wrath. That's what awaits you. An eternity separated from God, an eternity under the wrath of God, an eternity under the judgment of God. This is what awaits every single one of us apart from God's intervention. We are dead. We are by nature children of wrath. 
We follow the inclinations of our hearts and our minds, which lead us into further sin and dysfunction. We follow after the ruler of the air. Of course, Paul here is talking about Satan. He's talking about uh, our flesh. He's talking about the combination of our, our, our inclinations with the devil's temptations. He's saying you're in a really, really bad place. In fact, you're in a hopeless place. You are dead. You are by nature a child of wrath. And this is, this is a necessary word because every single one of us naturally, intrinsically see ourselves as better than we really are. We put locks on the doors of our homes to keep all the bad people out. Depending on your upbringing or your philosophical perspective, you, you have a certain subset of society that you, you view as the bad people, right? And you know what's interesting about that? They see you the same way you see them. Take any, any group of people in the world, take any subset in the world, take any ideology, no matter how right or wrong we believe or think or know to be wrong, right? Here's what's crazy. That subset, those people, they see you the same way you see them. They see you as the bad guy. You see them as the bad guy. Even the people you, you see as relatively good What's interesting is you probably see yourself in that same category. And this word that Paul gives is essential. This is, this is not like, oh, happy day here, right? This is real world. You apart from God are dead. You apart from God are by nature a child of wrath. You apart from God are the bad guy. You're in desperate need. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. There's nothing you can do to, to, to get yourself out of the trouble that you're in. You know why there's nothing you can do? Because you're dead and dead people don't act. Spiritually speaking, Paul's helping us to understand that apart from God, we are all in a lot of trouble. No matter where you place yourself on the spectrum of goodness, no matter where you place yourself on the scale of, of good or bad, here, here's the reality, we're all in a very bad place. The question is not, are you as bad as the person who lives next door to you? The question is, are you bad in terms of what God has defined as good or bad? God is the standard, not your next door neighbor. And when it comes to that scale, we're all in a lot of trouble. We're in a lot of trouble. And so Paul opens this section of the letter in a very bleak place. I mean, he opens this with a, a plot that, that is, is tragic and hopeless. And we need to let it sink in what it means that we are dead in our sins, that we are by nature children of wrath because there is a lot of misunderstanding about this even in the church today. A lot of people think, well, no, man, mankind has the freedom to act and to operate in such a way that if, if, if they want to run after God and choose God, they can. But that's a gross misunderstanding of the freedom that we have. Let me give you a, a, a very, very important principle that, that I think Paul is trying to drill into here. It's simply this, our freedom is governed by our natures. 
Our freedom is always governed by our nature. Let's start physically. Okay, let's just think about this. Okay, you say, am I free today to do what I want to do? Well, yes, but your freedom is governed by your nature. In other words, you are not free to jump off a building and fly like a bird. Now, you're free to try. But you're not free to succeed. You're not free to dive in the water and live underwater like a fish. You're free to try. You're not free to succeed. Your physical freedoms are governed by your nature. Are you with me? There are certain things you can do physically as a human being that other created beings can't do because it's not within their nature, but it's within yours and vice versa. Our freedoms are always governed by our natures. Now let's apply that spiritually and see what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that spiritually speaking, we are dead apart from God. Spiritually speaking, We are by nature children of wrath. Here's what he means by that. We freely operate spiritually, morally with the decision-making capacities that we have, but we freely act according to our natures, which means that we're always freely acting to serve ourselves. We are by nature children of wrath. We operate with freedom, but it's a freedom governed by our natures. What is our sinful nature guiding us toward always freely making decisions that offend a righteous and a holy God. So that the scripture says, even our good works are as but filthy rags in his sight. The problem you see, the problem, the primary problem is not with our action. The primary problem is with our condition. And our action follows our condition. And our condition is we're dead spiritually. Our condition is we are by nature children of wrath. And so even that which we would deem as good is only being carried out in such a way that it ultimately serves some pleasure or some purpose that benefits us. You see, free will is the ability of a creature to act according to its nature. And Paul is saying, spiritually speaking, none of us, apart from God's help, can do anything that would ever merit his grace. We are dead. And we are by nature children of wrath. Of course, this goes back to the very beginning, right? This goes back to the very beginning of mankind when God said to Adam and Eve, the day that you rebel against me, you will what? You will surely die. And of course, the death there that God was referring to was a death in terms of our relationship to him and ultimately a death in terms of our eternity, separation from him, right? That's what Genesis 2 tells us. Let me just remind you this. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. And of course, the man and his wife ate from that tree. And, and, and immediately what happened? Their consciences were seared. They, they began to hide from God. They knew something had changed. And, and Paul's helping us understand what changed is now they are no longer truly free. Their freedom is now restricted by their natures. And their natures are that they are children of wrath now. And just in case you're wondering, what would we do in that situation? What would I do in that situation? I mean, I know sometimes we look back, we're like, man, I would not have done that. 
Like if I were with Adam, I would have set him straight. Adam's like, if I were with Eve, I wouldn't have let her do it. I wouldn't have blamed her. No, no, no. Let me show you what Paul says in another letter that he writes to the church of Rome. Here's what he says. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people. Watch this, because all sinned. What Paul is helping us understand is actually Adam is what we call our federal head, okay? He's, he, he's a representative of what every single man would have done in that same situation. And Paul's saying, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin because all sin. In other words, every single one of us actually would have made the same decision. All of us naturally, intrinsically would have sought our own glory and would have rebelled against God. That's what Paul is helping us to understand. That's why we are all by nature children of wrath because we are all equally guilty before God. It's not, well, Adam didn't know what he was doing and I would have known and Eve didn't know and I would have known. No, no, no. It's that all of us were equal participants in what Adam and Eve did. All of us naturally, intrinsically now after Adam's sin, press into our lostness, press into our selfishness. All of us are wired in such a way that we freely act, but we freely act according to our natures, which is a nature prone to wrath and selfishness. And therefore our freedom is, is governed by our natures and our natures are always leading us to look out for us, to live for our glory, not God's. That's why Paul says in Romans 3, he says, I love this, he says, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. There's no one without guilt, <laughs> no one. That's why you don't have to teach your children to be selfish. You don't have to teach your children to sin or to rebel or to be dishonest, right? All of us, all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us are contaminated from the core. That's why Jesus said, you don't get bitter water from a fresh water source. What is he saying? He's saying the problem isn't the water. The problem is the, is the filter through which the water is running and, and it's contaminated. You take a glass, and if the glass is dirty, the water you put into it becomes dirty, right? And the vessel of our hearts, here's what Paul is saying, the vessel of our hearts is contaminated. It's, it's sinful, it's selfish, it's broken, it's in desperate need of life. We're dead in our sin. We're, we're by nature children of wrath. We all freely act, but we all all freely act to carry out our natures, which is to rebel against God and his glory and his rightful rule and reign over our lives. And so here's what Paul is saying. We're all in a lot of trouble. We're all destined toward an eternity that's characterized by death and judgment, not life and peace. That's what God said would happen. God said, listen, the day that you rebel against me, the day that you press into your own will more than mine is the day that you will die. And that death is something that now we still experience in this life. Our lives are very much like a tragedy. It seems hopeless in the beginning. It, it seems desperate. It's, it, it's, it's overwhelming. If we truly understand like how desperate we are for God, then, then maybe, maybe we would come to a place in our lives where we would position ourselves by his grace for true meaning and purpose and fulfillment because you can only have that through him. 
The reality of what we have in this world is a lot of dead people, spiritually speaking, trying to convince themselves that they're not really dead and trying to pour a bunch of stuff into their contaminated souls to, to get them through the day or to give them some measure of hope. And what we find is that you can't put enough into that contaminated cup to ever, ever, ever overcome the contamination. And it spoils everything it touches. And so here's what Paul is saying. You, you and I desperately need intervention from the outside. This is, this is where God's helping us to understand religion can't save you. Better behavior can't save you. More education, better thinking can't save you. The only thing that could ever save you or me is someone or something that would intervene from the outside. Because everything we generate from the inside is contaminated. And let me get to some good news, all right? Because Rocky's about to get up off the mat. <laughs> Y'all ready? Cue the Rocky Four training montage. Here we go. Here, let me give you a little bit. This, this is where it gets good now, all right? I told you it starts off like a tragedy. Here's where it gets good. Let's go to verse four. This is awesome. The, 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 maybe two of the most important words in the entire Bible. But God. Right? But God, you were dead. Dead means dead. Dead is not sick. Dead is not comatose. Dead is dead. Incapable of doing anything. Incapable of, of, of pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. Incapable of doing anything that would commend you to God. You and I were dead, but God. You and I were by nature children of wrath, always freely operating with a nature of wrath and a selfishness. And, and, and we we're by nature carrying out all of these things that are digging us deeper and deeper and deeper into the pits of hell. But God, being rich in mercy, what is mercy? Undeserved, unmerited favor. God coming to us by his own initiative, not because we deserve it, mercy, his own initiative, because God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us. Now check this out, three key words. He made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses because you're saved by grace. Two more words, right? Verse six, and he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. But God, amen, but God. Man, gonna fly now. I mean, come on. Isn't that good? Oh, man. Well, we're starting with some tragedy now. But because of God's grace, he doesn't leave us there. You have to understand. You have to understand the true depth of your sin and rebellion against God to truly cherish the majesty of his grace. Someone said years ago, and I wholeheartedly agree, Jesus did not come to make sick men well, he came to make dead men live. And that's the gospel. A lot of what you will hear today, I'm telling you, is that you're sick. 
And with a little bit of religious first aid, you can get better. I'm here to tell you, you're way worse than sick. You're dead. There is no hope for you. Through religion, through good works, through doing your best, there's no hope for you. You're dead. But God, being rich in mercy, with a love, unconditional love with which he loved us, can make you alive. You can't do it, but God can. And here's what Paul does. This is actually an interesting construction in the original language because, because Paul intentionally sets up the, 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 the flow of this, of, of this passage in a unique way. He starts with the tragedy. He starts with death. And we're by nature children of wrath. But he gets to three main verbs in, 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 in verses five and six. And there are three main verbs, which if we were to write this in English, we would write it actually starting with the three main verbs. That's how we think. But Paul doesn't start that way. He starts with the tragedy so that we fully understand the depth of God's grace and his kindness. But then he puts three main verbs together. They're the only main verbs in this entire section, okay? And these three main verbs are profound. Did you notice him? He says, God has made us alive. God has raised us up and God has seated us in, in heavenly places. These are all past tense. He's, he's writing to people who had already responded to the gospel. Now this is true of anyone who responds to the gospel. It could be true of you today. But for everyone who's already responded to the hope of the gospel of, of, of God's work of salvation, here, these, these three words are huge. Here's what, here, here's what describes the believer, all right? The believer is not someone who pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps or who just went to church enough or who just you know, did enough good that God let the good outweigh the bad. No, 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 we're dead, right? We're by nature children of No, 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 the believer is someone who has simply responded to the life-giving conviction of the spirit, the, the spirit that works in the spiritually dead to bring us to life, to give us a heartbeat so that we can receive and respond to his gospel of hope. And the believer who's brought to life, the old word, by the way, is quickened. Anybody ever heard that word? Quickened, okay? The believer who is quickened, who's raised to life and then able to, to respond to the gospel, that, that person is brought to life, past tense. You were brought to life, you were raised up, and you were seated in heavenly places so that right now, this is past tense, right now, God the Father sees you in the same way he sees his son. He sees you as seated in the heavenly places with Christ. You say, he doesn't see my sin anymore? No. He doesn't see my shame anymore? No. He doesn't see my guilt anymore? No. You know why? Because you were brought to life, you were raised up, and you were seated in heavenly places with Jesus. That's how God the Father sees you. You, who used to be dead in your trespasses and sins, you who used to be by nature a children of wrath, but who are now by nature a child of God. Say, so how do I become a child of God? Through the mercy and kindness of God himself. But God, because here's the greatest news the world has ever seen. <laughs> the greatest news the world has ever seen is that Jesus brings the dead to life. 
Jesus brings the dead to life. That's what he does. Your sin, your selfishness, <laughs> mine, my sin, my selfishness. Listen, it, it leads us down a path of utter destruction, death, separation from God. But God, being rich in mercy, sent his son into the world to do what? To incur his wrath and ultimately death in our place. Notice that the punishment fits the crime. That in order for you and I to be redeemed, Jesus, our substitute, had to receive the same punishment for sin that you and I receive, which is death and separation from the Father, which is why on the cross, Jesus in fulfillment of Psalm 22 said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let me tell you something. Jesus was forsaken for you. He was not mistaken. Some have said, well, Jesus on the cross was mistaken. There he thought that the Father had forsaken him and rejected him. No, no, he wasn't mistaken. He was forsaken. Jesus had to receive the exact same punishment that you and I receive for our sin in order to be our righteous substitute and satisfy the righteous holiness of the Father. And that's exactly what Jesus did for you and me. That's why we say paid in full, right? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. That's the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? That's our hope. It's not cheap grace. No, 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 it's paid in full. And therefore, everything that Jesus touches comes to life. Jesus brings life out of death. You look at your life and you think, man, yeah, you know what? I'm struggling with, 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 with sin. I'm struggling with discouragement. I'm, I'm struggling with disobedience. I'm struggling with the streak of selfishness and I'm struggling in my marriage. I'm struggling in my work, whatever it is. You know, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm telling you, Jesus is the answer. His life-giving power brings hope and healing to everything it touches. Because Jesus brings death brings life from death. Jesus t takes those who are dead in their trespasses and sins and he brings them to life. And, and, and Paul just wants us to so desperately understand the depth of this salvation. This is so much better than, well, God just, um, God just took a neutral playing field and he nudged a few people in the right direction. No, 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 this is God's working through Jesus to bring resurrection life to those who are dead. That's how much he loves you. That, that's, that, that's how great his power in your life actually is. It's a resurrection power in your life and mine. And, and so then Paul wraps up this way. Let me wrap up this, this section here in, in Ephesians 2. In this way, notice he's gonna give two prepositional phrases. All right, all the English teachers in the, in the room today, those of you connecting online today, Super happy with me, okay? I'm talking about verbs and prepositions. I mean, it doesn't get any better than this if you're an English teacher. But I want you to understand, we got three main verbs now, two prepositional phrases coming out of that. Check this out, four. Paul's saying, what, what is it? You're, 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 you're brought to life, right? You're brought to life. You're raised up. You're seated in heavenly places. Four, you are saved by grace through faith. Your faith is involved. 
but only as a result of God's grace. Your faith is involved only as God's spirit brings you to life and, 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 and brings you to a place where you see both the foolishness of your sin and the glory and the beauty of his grace. And so it's by grace through your faith, God working together mysteriously, right? With, with the power of his spirit and his life-giving enabling and also your, your, your desire now by faith to see, yes, this is what I need in my life. And so it's by grace through faith. It's not from yourselves. It is God's gift, right? It's not from works so that no one can boast. No one just wakes up one day and says, you know what, I think I'm gonna follow Jesus today. Just like nobody, nobody gets up and says, I'm gonna follow the Cincinnati Bengals today. Nobody says that. You gotta be born in the wrong place to be a Bengals fan. And I was. <laughs> but today's a good day to be a Bengals fan because God brings life from death. That's the power of God in the world today, right? And let me tell you, let me tell you how powerful God is, okay? He did it in Cincinnati without Tom Brady. I mean, that, that's the power of God right there. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm a little excited today. I apologize. God brings death from life. Nobody wakes up. Nobody wakes up and says, yo, I'm gonna follow Jesus today. You know why nobody wakes up and says that? Because you're dead. <laughs> Our following of Jesus only happens as the Holy Spirit brings us to life, quickens our spirit. We begin to see, yeah, you know what? Yeah, that, yeah, there are some things about me that aren't right. There is, a, there is an eternity. There, I, everyone does live forever somewhere. And then by God's grace, we see, man, look at, look at what God did for me. He sent his son in the world to die for my sin. He took the punishment, the wrath in my place. And he rose from the dead. He proved in human history, proved in human history that he is Lord. And so God, I, I ask you to come into my life to forgive me of my sin. I believe in you. I believe in your son. I believe in what he did. And I ask you to save me. And I commit my life to you. I commit my eternity to you. God, I am now yours. And at that moment, Jesus saves you. And you are a son or a daughter of the king. You're raised up, brought to life, raised up, seated in heavenly places. Boom, done. For by grace, you're saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's the work of God. Four, check this out, last four, last prepositional phrase here, right? Check this out, four. Here's why he did it. We are his workmanship, his, not ours, his, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. See, God's working in your life now. Check this out, for you to do good things, to accomplish good things, to make a difference in this world, to make a difference in your family, to make a difference in your workplace, to make a difference for his kingdom. No, God's, God's actually done more than just make you alive, raise you up, seat you in heavenly places. He's also prepared some good works for you to walk in so that you can make a difference. And you'll, that's why you'll never find fulfillment in life apart from God and his will for you. You won't find salvation anywhere else. You won't find fulfillment anywhere else. Not only has he made you alive, raised you up, seated you in heavenly places, he's also prepared some good things for you to walk in so that you experience his goodness and you make much of him in this life. That's what life is all about. 
And so if you're not walking with Jesus, if you're not making much of him, if you're not being generous, if you're, if you're not uh, on a journey of prayer and drawing near to him, if you're, if you're not trying to shape the hearts and minds of your children toward him, if you're, if you're not seeing your career as a pathway to make much of him, then, then listen, then, then you're failing to understand, he has a really awesome plan for your life. Not only has he made you alive, raised you up, seated in your heavenly places, for you're saved by grace through faith, for you are his workmanship, and he has made you for good works, which he's prepared in advance for you to walk in and make a difference. And if you don't see that today, you're really not getting everything God intends out of this life. So it, it, it just makes sense, doesn't it? That God loves you. And he doesn't love you because you are deserving of his love. He loves you because he created you in his image and, and he loves you unconditionally. And then he died for you, sent his son to die for you. He rose from the dead. He's, 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 he's now working your life through the power of his spirit to bring you from death to life, to, to make you alive, to raise you up, to seat you in heavenly places. And then for you right now to walk in his good grace, to experience all that he has for you and for you to make a difference for him. That's what this life is all about. And it's just like when you have a child, right? You welcome a child into your family through natural birth or through adoption. What happens? There's just an immediate transfer. There's, it's, it's immediate. And I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, no. Grandchildren. That's what we talk. Grandchildren. <laughs> and it's like, boom, it's immediate, that connection. And you love this person, right? This little, this little bundle of sin and, and selfishness, right? But... but but you love this little bundle of sin and self, and because they're your, and it's like, there's just an instant bond. There's, it's just, you can't explain it, right? And it's just, boom, it's immediate. And, and the love and, and the generosity and the kind, and, and, the, and it's just, it's immediate. And it's, and it's all related to family. It's not merited, it's not deserved, it's not earned, it's immediate. And I just, I just hope you'll understand today, this is the depth of God's love for you. Through Christ, his love is life-giving. It's eternity-shaping. It's not merited or deserved, but yet it is freely given, unconditionally given. And when it's given, it will absolutely change your life and it will never ever be revoked. And if, and if you've experienced that today, God through his kindness has brought you to a place of salvation. Then listen, today you rejoice that God didn't bring you out of sickness to better health. He brought you out of death to life. And he welcomed you as a son or a daughter. And he lavishes now daily his love on you as a child, as a son or a daughter. It's unmerited, undeserved. He loves you. And he's prepared good works for you to walk into to make a difference for him. And if you're with us today, you're connecting with us online today from across the country, even around the world. And you have never put your faith in Jesus for your salvation. I just want you to understand today, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is for one purpose and one purpose only. And that is to bring you from a place of death to life. God's working right now in your heart, in your life, so that your testimony will be but God. 
And today, if the Spirit's working in your life and, and, and you're not sure that you have eternal life and you've never come to a place where you've seen, yes, your desperate need for Jesus, then today, make no mistake about it, God's Spirit is working in your life to open your eyes, to bring you to life so that you will by faith respond to His good grace and ask Him to save you and ask Him to change your life. And He will. And if you need to do that today, I want you to know we're here to help.